This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. On July 9th, 1976, a Slovakian medical student goes missing. Five days later, she is found brutally murdered. Was it a random act of violence? Was it a robbery gone wrong? Or was it a calculated plot to punish her father? You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce podcast. We bring you the case of Ludmila Servanova. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement where we are fashioning an ark due to all the rain that has come our way. Pod dogs will be first. Everybody else gets a ticket. We'll call your number. <laughs> we are back again. Hopefully, we have fixed the ship where we're recording on Fridays and not freezing our asses off on Sundays. What's the deal? This is two weeks in a row. It's nice down where here. Where it's nice down here on a Friday night, night. but Sunday afternoons it's freezing. At two in the afternoon. I don't understand that. That's weird. Because the weather's been relatively the, the same. same. Yeah. That's very strange. Just some news on the, on the, if you don't follow us on Facebook, please do. But we have now have a private group page that we have set up. Well, I didn't set it up. We didn't, you didn't set it up. A fan set it up. Uh, Miss Kim Phillip from Arkansas, who's the lady that runs the Rebecca Gould Facebook page. Facebook page. And she's the one that brought Rebecca Gould to our attention. Uh, her and, um, Jennifer Bucos. Yes, Bucos. I'm so sorry. Um, and that's why we did the Rebecca Gould case was because of them. And she was like, hey, guys, y'all really need to uh, make a Facebook group. And we have. And we're getting we're in the process of getting a website. It's going to we're, we're things are shaking up, man. It's pretty awesome. But also, so if you would like, go into groups on Facebook and look up Mysterious Bruises and then ask to join the group. That'd be awesome. We're going to. Start doing things like having like an open discussion about the case when we were when we uh, put it out. Get your opinions, get your thoughts, get your criticisms. We're going to do a whole bunch of things. However, if you do follow us on our regular page, you will know that the Kendrick Johnson case that we covered in Georgia has been reopened. And at- I just w- read an article this afternoon, this evening, about that, and I hope my... I don't know how to put it, but misgivings towards this case are proven false. But what I read this evening was that Kendrick's mother paid someone for a supposed recording of a confession. Yeah, I posted that on our Facebook. And I really hope she did not get taken and some sick fuck is out there. Well... Messing with According them. to what I, the information that I, I researched is that that's the reason the case is reopened. Yes. So what, regardless of what she paid and regardless if it's a hoax, it got the case reopened. It so did. I just hope that this is not I I, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I agree with you. However. It re- is reopened, so it's the reopened, silver lining so, is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I agree. So there you go. Okay, good news. We're back on the charts in Slovakia. Hell yeah. We bounce in and out of the Slovakian now, chart. Do you think that being on the Slovakian chart had any? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, man? I'm I'm getting forgetful these days. Had uh, oh god, had any um, what the f- influence? Good god, fuck! <laughs> how do you fucking like? How do you forget influence? I don't know, but you did. Don't edit this out. Okay. People need to hear the de- <laughs> the absolute frustration. The absolute frustration of my declining intelligence. Okay. 
Do you think picking out a Slovakian, uh, being ranked in Slovakia, had any influence on us picking out a Slovakian case? No, didn't have anything. We're 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 biased. Maybe edit out when I screamed at the F word. It probably bust some eardrums. Okay, but yeah, I mean, do you think? I mean, some people might call that pandering. Well, you know what? <laughs> we're just two dumbasses <laughs> in the basement trying would to get we, some traction. Would we pander? I don't care if we're the David Hasselhoff of Slovakia. <laughs> so, yes, we were going to force you to listen to our god-awful to pronunciations. Our god-awful pronunciations. So, before we get to the case, we have two new patrons. Oh, that's amazing. Also, big things coming with the page and the website. We're going to be putting up a... Uh, a beer fund pretty soon, or a brew fund. We don't want to copy our 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 idols, our friends up <laughs> north. We're gonna have a brew fund pinned to the page and pinned to the website. If you just have it in your heart to donate, you can look, buy us a forty. Look, yeah, you can donate a dollar. You can donate fifty cents. I don't care. That would be awesome. Cause, but our new patrons are. But Ms. if you don't, that's okay too. Heather, Colleen, Pool at three dollar tier, and just. Today, we got Mr. Garrick Polk for the three dollar tier. Man, Welcome thank, aboard, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. And we are we are doing sporadic Patreon content, Patreon only content that it's been pretty good. We got really good feedback. So well, we're getting some good feedback on the cases. They love them. It's just some off the cuff stuff, and so far the rawness of it seems to have struck an accord but you have some five-star reviews and since i was chastised last week i won't say anything you else. don't touch this my, this my, <laughs> you know, it's my, my area so we got one from potato lady bex which we did uh she was kind enough on twitter she reviewed our podcast and sent out a very very nice review that i've she even, uh, I tagged her in the picture that she put on Twitter and she even commented on our Instagram page mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And she did a very cool drawing that's now our, um, should be our cover photo or at the very least you can see it on her page. But anyway, she said, get caught up. She said, true believers, five stars, get caught up in the mystery. This show dives deep into abductions, aliens, paranormal encounters, unsolved mysteries, mayhem, and more. The hosts are true believers who want to give these stories a spotlight rather than sweeping them under the rug it's it's as fun sitting around as a <laughs> it's as fun as sitting around a campfire with your friends swapping your favorite stories i apologize i can't talk man i'm from the south well he killed the opening so it's all downhill for opening now. one take yeah. and now i can't talk at all at all it usually takes me 20 takes and then i'm flawless he's a silver-tongued devil <laughs> i'm a cunning linguist <laughs> uh, okay and then the, the next the next review is called My New Year's Vow is from is the name of the um the, the sender. Said the best five stars. I found and fell in love with mysterious brews because they are the only ones to cover the Justin Gaines case. That's a deep dive right there. The more I listen to them, the more I want to drink beer with them in their deep, dark, dank, moist basement. And then they referenced and sang Ray Stevens, <laughs> and I knew they were forever my favorite. No one ever gets my Ray Stevens references. Well, buddy, we we, we get, get them all. We grew up with them forty fives and them LPs. It's me again, Margaret. <laughs> Don't Are look, you Margaret. Don't look. It was too late. <laughs> yeah. Don't look at the. <laughs> they call him <laughs> <in> the street. <laughs> <laughs> we got them, brother. Even the serious ones. But uh, y'all are the best. Thank you for doing what you do. Well, we will continue that and keep listening. Thank you so much. And then a Mama Gator 2 says, Perfection, five stars. I'm a Floridian currently living in on a U.S. military base in Japan. I love all things mysterious, especially along the lines of the missing 411. Well, you're going to love me pretty soon. There's a, I got about 75 of them lined up. And y'all do not disappoint. Your accents and phrases remind me so much of home, which makes the podcast not only extremely entertaining, but also comforting. That's pretty awesome. Please uh, reach out to one of our social medias and get us your husband's military address or something. Oh, we'll send you a, man. We'll send you some How stickers. How dare you? 
Did you really just do that? I did. Your husband's military? You don't think for a second that she? She said she was living on the one. She didn't say she was serving, so I made her. Oh, See? no. Mm-mm. See? Nope. You got to understand, people. He's a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> they just come from a different time. So. <laughs> don't get me started about today's youth. All right, people. People don't care about us rambling on. They want to. They want to hear. All right. They want to hear the mispronunciations. The absolute slaughter of the Slovic Slovakian pronunciations. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Buckle up. In 1976, Ludmila Servanova, a 20-year-old medical student studying in the capital city of Bratislava and living in the dormitories of Malinska Dolina. Dude, that's not bad. I'm, dude. Rough translation pretty, pretty good. of said dormitory is called Student City. On July 9, 1976, Ludmila spent the evening at a disco club named Eunuch. And I will not make any references. If you don't know what a eunuch is, look it up. Don't look it up. <laughs> look it up on Google Images. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, look up Blue Waffle on Google oh, Images. Oh, don't know. No, no <laughs> for the love of God, people, please don't do that. Do not do that. Anyway, she went to this disco club with her friends, but left earlier than the friends due to the fact that she was scheduled to catch the midnight train to. Kosis, which is probably not even close, which is the second largest city in, at the time, Czechoslovakia. Now, Kosis was roughly 300 kilometers to 186 miles, and that's in the research that I made, but I Google mapped it, and it said it's closer to 400 kilometers or 251 miles. Okay, just to correct everybody, if you just Google Unic. You're not gonna find what you're looking for. You gotta Google "eunuch man," <laughs> and you'll find what you're talking, you'll, you'll find what we're talking about. <laughs> she was taking this train to the east, which is the opposite side of the country, to meet her fiance. She had to go back to her dorm to get her belongings before heading to the train station. She was last seen around 11 p.m. in her dorms, heading for a bus stop, which would take her to the train station. Unfortunately, Ludmila would never arrive in Kosice. Hmm. So on July 12, 1976, her parents would report her missing. Ludmila's father would give authorities a description of his daughter, her dental records, and contact her family doctor to have her medical records released. The following day, on July 13, 1976, the first witnesses come forward stating they had seen Ludmila in her dorm around 11 p.m. on July 9th. Two days later, on July 14th, a woman's body was found in advanced stages of decomp in the Vistula River near the town of Kralova Prisensi, which is roughly 25 kilometers or 15 miles east of Bratislava. Preliminary findings were that the young lady had drowned. Police would interview the people who found and pulled the body out of the river, and they would describe the body as that of a, quote, pretty young woman with long black hair and no bruises or visible injuries. Now, a river dam officer testified that he was conduct conducting a river service patrol the day before on July 13th and saw no body that day. Now, depending on which article or Reddit page or other web page that you find this pay, this case on, one of two things happens next. Either A, on July 15th, Ludmilla's father, Ludovic Servan, a military wing commander, identified the body as his daughter, or on July 15th, 1976, two rings and a golden chain were permitted, permitted were presented to Ludovic Servan and he identified these items as belonging to her, to his daughter. The second thing that could have happened that I just discussed leads you and everything else that I researched that he never saw the body. He was only presented with two rings and a golden chain that he said looked like his daughter's. Now, the lead investigator who happened to find the two rings and the chain near the body, 
connected the belongings to the body, and then it was presented as Ludmilla's. A special investigation team was creating, and at the time, in 1976, it entailed 47 officers, which is a big deal. Yeah, that's not a little thing. I mean, that's, that's, that shows effort. They wanted to solve this. Yes. Now, after the body was found on July 14th, everything looked like a murder. Despite this, however, the body was not moved to the forensic medical unit, but to a local morgue. Now, there's some initials for these two doctors that performed the post-mortem examination, and I believe the MU stands for Medical University. But it, is, it has MU, then the Dr. Porobsky, and MU Dr. Kokels. And like I said, they would perform the post-mortem examination. They concluded the body was decayed in water for four to five days. Multiple decompositions and tiny bruises were found on her back. There was no evidence of brutality. Hmm. They concluded that, quote, during detailed examination of outer and inner reproductive parts, no evidence was found suggesting intercourse or any other sexual act, end quote. Because of advanced decomposition, they did not test for the presence of sperm. Ludmilla's father testified his daughter had two teeth sealed, which I would think that would mean like a, cra- a cap or a filling, mm-hmm. and she was missing her wisdom teeth. The examiners found the body's dental records to include six teeth that were sealed and three missing. Ludmilla's doctor, medical doctor, was never contacted by authorities in regards to her medical state. Later that evening of the examination, two officers would come to the morgue and take two rings and a golden chain from the body according to the medical doctors. It is also documented in the official examination file. The next day, the body was then moved to the forensic unit where it was later examined again and was cremated on July 22nd. That seems pretty fast. Yeah. The cremation was watched by the STB, and I have no idea what it stands for, but what I did find out was that is the Czechoslovakian branch of the KGB. According to the official file, there's a, quote, monitoring request in the file that is attached, properly filled in with the code name Action Ludmila. The cremation was very unusual for the fact that the body was a murder case and should have been treated as evidence, and the fact that the process was overseen by an STB unit was also very suspicious, but this was not known to anyone at the time. The coffin was closed during the entire procedure, so no one had seen the body when it was placed, when it, I'm sorry, no one had seen the body from it arriving at the forensic unit until it was put into the cremation. So no one opened the casket. Keep that in mind. Now, the family would not have seen Ludmilla since July the 9th, and this is July the 22nd. In 2004, Dr. Fiala conducted a re-examination of the medical files for the trial of the reopened case. His findings contrasted the previous examination, but were based purely on photographs and medical files from the original investigation. He would state, quote, the body could be in water two to three days based on skin color. Based on how the hair is separating from the skin, the decomposition has taken eight to 15 days. There is probably a lot more information out there, but since we do not and cannot translate the official papers, well, we probably could. We're just exceptionally lazy people. Well, I tried. I tried to highlight the PDF file and put it into Google, and I think I broke it. <laughs> Hell, we could have reached out to somebody that speaks Slovakian. Is is that what is that the name of the language? I don't. We don't even know that. No, but I'm sure our uh, Slovakian friend, the Fierce Wolf Soul, will let us know, and we probably will follow up, and she might can find the things and let us know. Still great. Uh, it's called Slavic. It's not called Slovakian. Slavic. Yeah, so I'm sorry. But it's still a wonderful name. It is. Dr. Fila would go on 
to state that he found in the file that Ludmilla's father had seen the body and identified it as her, even though it was in a horrid decomp state. He would contradict the original findings and state that sexual and other injuries were confirmed. It was rumored that she was drunk, beaten, and raped, but there's no way to know that since she was cremated. The original examination mentions cutting the ropes off of her hands and removing them with skin still attached to the rope. There is no mention of two rings or a golden chain. The police file says an officer came to the morgue and took some jewelry from the body but did not state what the jewelry was. Now, this is not common practice, even in 1976 Czechoslovakia, because this is always done by the examining doctor. He always removes the clothes, just like here in the States. So the investigation begins between July 15th and September of 28th of 1976. Over 315 witnesses were interviewed by authorities. Nearly 11 of Ludmilla's classmates and friends were able to give specific details of Ludmilla's whereabouts on the night of July the 9th. According to these classmates and friends, Ludmilla and a couple of her close friends decided to go to the Eunuch Disco Club, which is just a short distance from the dormitories. After being in the club for around an hour or two at the most, Ludmilla would tell her friends that she has to catch the midnight train to Cosise. They were basically having fun, and one of her friends, Pavel Komora, asked her for a dance and to go outside to talk. Her friends all agreed there were no issues that night, and at around 10.30 p.m., Ludmilla grabbed her purse and ID from the table and left for her dorm. One of her friends offered to walk with her, but Ludmilla declined. She left calm and happy. No one else talked to Ludmilla that night, and to their recollection, there were no strangers making contact or advances toward Ludmilla. So at her dorms, another witness testifies that he helped Ludmilla with her heavy bag from her dorm down to the foyer. He offered to take her bag to the bus stop, but she declined, saying, quote, they would laugh at me if I couldn't carry my own bag. So he opens the door for her, and she left. He went back to his room. Now, four more witnesses, witnesses testified seeing her walk from the dorm. They were sitting outside the dorm smoking. They did not know her personally by name, but testified about an unfamiliar woman leaving the dorm with a travel bag. All of them were sure she was alone at the time. Now, other witnesses testified they saw a woman with a travel bag at around 9.30 p.m. standing about 20 meters, or roughly 60 feet, from the bus stop. Supposedly, a car stopped by her with the lights dimmed. The people in the car talked to the woman, and after a few moments, the front right door opened. A gentleman exited. Ludmilla put her bag in the back and then climbed into the back of the car. The interior light came on, and the witnesses saw three men, one in the front, or I'm sorry, two in the front and one in the back. All of them were dark-skinned with black hair. After a moment, like I said, the woman put her bag in the car and then sat in the back, and then they drove off, heading towards the city. The thing that stood out to those witnesses was that the car never turned its lights on. It always had its parking lights on, even mm -hmm. as it pulled off. That's very strange. Now, we have a French connection. Ooh, I heard a movie about that one time. I know. These, the, well, I'm sorry. The French connection is this. There's two sisters named the Cohen sisters. Not the Cohen brothers, but the Cohen sisters. And they came to Slovakia in 1976 from their hometown in France. They arrived in Bratislava on July 4th, 1976. They would spend the first few days sightseeing Bratislava and Prague. And on the night of July 8th, they also would go to the Eunuch Disco Club with two of their friends, Sermon and Andrzejczyk. During that night, they noticed someone was taking photographs of them. Now, years later, it would turn out that the STB, remember, that's the Czechoslovakian branch of the KGB, had opened a file on the sisters for, quote, assistance of transporting Czech citizens to capitalistic countries and later as possible witnesses to a crime. Yeah, remember, this is 1976. We're deep in the heart of the Cold War, and this is a Soviet bloc at the time. So anyone coming from 
non-Soviet controlled countries were probably flagged. Oh, they probably wasn't allowed in. Well, somehow these two French ladies did. Now, on July the 10th, the Coen sisters left and headed back to France. It is of note, however, none of the 315 witnesses interviewed ever mentioned seeing anyone that resembled the Coen sisters at the club on July the 9th. Now, there is the Arab lead, and this is quite a long tale. So, on... So, prepare yourselves. Yes, for more now would butchering be the time of the Slavics. If you need it, take a break, get a snack. <laughs> get you another cold beverage. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't discuss the beer because we... Because uh, uh, we forgot. Don't let him... <laughs> yeah. Well, that and we can't get Slovakian beer, so we're just drinking the we're old dr- standby. Yeah, we're drinking Sweetwater 420. We forgot. I just dawned on me just now. You going to try to make a legit excuse? No, sir. We're just... Uh-uh. We, we tell were so, the truth on this podcast. We were so giddy about three five-star reviews and two new patrons. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, let's get to the Arab lead. <laughs> All right. Now, this is from an, a translated news article. <clears throat> oh, no. He's tripping up, y'all. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> and this is of Mr. and Mrs. Bakova. They testified seeing a young woman getting into a car with three dark-skinned men. And I assume, I make the conjecture... That this is the same witnesses that were we just previously talked about around 9.30 p.m. But if you will remember, her friends are saying she left the club around 10.30 or 11. So this time frame is a little off. But anyway, Mr. and Ms. Mrs. Bakova, which we will now refer to as Joseph and Veronica because it's easier to pronounce. I don't know, man. You're doing a really good job. I don't like to give you credit for anything, but I think you're doing pretty good. So kudos, man. They saw Ludmilla get into a car with three dark-skinned men. Now, they would contact the Slovak Spectator, a Slovakian newspaper, in 2007, to, and this newspaper would have an exclusive interview with Joseph and Veronica which are, at the time in 2007, were in their 60s. They would tell the newspaper what they had seen on the night of July 9th, 1976, and this is in direct conflict to the court's verdict in the case that we will get to much later. They also said they had tried to deliver the information to the Supreme Court before it delivered its ruling, which cannot be appealed, but they were turned away. Joseph and Veronica described the night... Ludmilla was murdered, and they said they remembered the date because it was actually Veronica's birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. That sucks. The pair were waiting for a bus in the Milanska Dolina student complex around 10 p.m. after having brought flowers to the nearby grave of their son. Quote, we could hear the music from the disco near the student dorms at the grave, said Joseph. It was dark a little before 10 at night, and we decided to take a bus home. We just missed one and ended up waiting until about 10.30. About 10.15, we noticed a young girl with a big travel bag walking along the sidewalk. She was very pretty, about 20 years old. The girl stopped and talked with Veronica, and Veronica says, quote, She asked me if we had seen the bus leave because she was in a big hurry. She said she was traveling to Cochise, and she was afraid she would not catch the last train. She told me that if she saw a car, she would try to hitchhike to the train station because it would be quicker. Veronica, Joseph, and this girl would continue to wait at the bus stop along with two or three other people. And these other people were young girls going home from the disco and a drunk man who kept shouting, they said. Another witness questioned by police who lived in a nearby house also said he heard male male shouts on the night Ludmilla was murdered. Just before 10.30, a two-door Volkswagen Beetle approached the bus stop from a road that led out of the parking lot near the student dorms. The car was traveling slowly and had only its parking lights on. Joseph would state, quote, it stopped a few meters from the bus stop heading in the direction of town. I don't know if the girl flagged them down or whether they stopped of their own volition, but I did notice that the passenger sitting by the driver had an open window. The girl approached the, clock, the car and spoke briefly with the occupants, whom Joseph and Veronica described as three men. 
The man in the passenger seat then got out of the car to move his seat forward, holding the door while the girl put her bag in the back and took a seat herself. We saw them the whole time this was happening because the interior car light was on while the door was open, said Joseph. All three of the occupants of the car had dark skin. It was clear that they were not from our country because they were not white. Oh, there's a shocker. <laughs> they were Arab or black. The one who got out of the car was tall, dark-skinned, with short, dark hair. After the girl got in, he put the seat back and got in himself, and the car slowly moved off. Veronica said she had thought it was strange that even though the car was headed to town, it had not turned on its headlights. For that reason, she said she wrote down the beginning numbers and letters of the license plate on a piece of paper, and she would state that it started with W24 or 25. But it did have Austrian plates from Vienna. The girl got in the car of her own free will, Joseph added, and no one else left the student dorm where Ludmilla lived. Now, the color of the skin of the culprits is significant not only for their identification, but also in terms of a possible motive. Ludmilla's father, Colonel Lud Ludovic Servan, had been the Czechoslovakian military attaché to Syria and Saudi Arabia. At the time his daughter was murdered, he was posted to a secret mil military base in Pietstani, where he taught pilots from mainly Arab countries how to use weapons, elect weapons electronics on fighter jets. Now, the official police statement reads, when the couple noticed a police appeal several weeks after the night in question for anyone who knew anything about the kidnapping and murder of Ludmila Servanova to come forward, they recognized the victim and decided to testify. They both had statements taken, and that's all that is in the official file. During police questioning, Veronica was even shown a photograph of the corpse, which police claimed was Ludmila. Although Veronica said, unlike the autopsy report, that the face of the victim she was shown was horribly bruised and not swollen from days of immersion in the water. Quote, she was just a mass of bruises. She wasn't cut up. One policeman also told me she had been found dumped beside a creek, not in the water. I couldn't sleep for years afterwards, and I kept seeing that face in front of my eyes. The only thing that told me it was her was her long black hair. Two weeks after giving this evidence, Veronica was leaving a church with her year-old son and an older neighbor. Two men in suits suddenly grabbed her arms and pulled her into a car, claiming that they were police and that she would have to give evidence again. And she hmm. says, I asked them, what kind of police are you? If you want to interview me again, come to our place because I can't leave my son in a baby carriage on the sidewalk. As people from the church gathered around the car, Veronica says that she managed to open the door and escape. The men did not pursue her. Fast forward two years later, and Veronica was working for the post office when she received a visit from a policeman who told her not to interfere with the Servanova case or she would be sorry. Both her and her husband henceforth stopped concerning themselves with what had happened to their testimony. Quote, we expected to be called to testify in court, but no one called us, said Joseph. So we left it at that. My wife was scared. So now in 1977, a detective Palco took over the investigation. His unit found out the previous investigation unit missed an important lead in the case. During the investigation between 77 and 78, they found out that a group of people from Nitra, a city in Slovakia, who deliberately denied their appearance in the Unique Disco Club on July 1976. This investigation proved that the Nitra group lied in their testimonies, and after one of the witnesses testified, her boyfriend from Nitra told her, quote, he did something bad, they focused entirely on the Nitra group even when none of the 315 witnesses ever mentioned seeing this group before. During the investigation, Kokur, Andrzejczyk, Lachman, and Brazada, I'm sorry, Brazda. I'm sure those are all correct. Yeah. Conf supposedly confessed 
to the murder and rape of Ludmilla. Well, case closed, guys. Tune in next week. <laughs> we'll hit it again. <laughs> Coker confessed in a second round of interviews, but even then he mostly blamed the other three. He also only confessed to rape but not murder. Later, Coker and Andrzejczyk denied their involvement and testified they were forced to confess under pressure. Plus, Andrzejczyk was supposed to be with the Cohen sisters, remember them, the French connection, who were denied testifying during a later investigation. The other two named kept their confession during the trial and insisted the involvement of Coker and Andrzejczyk. The Nietzsche group was put in jail. Sentences ranged from 4 to 24 years. So the official investigation concluded Coker and Andrzejczyk forced Ludmilla to their car, a Fiat 125, which was driven by Brazda, with Sermon. They drove off to a house on Vrenska Street. Badak, Dubravicki, and Lachman were supposed to be driven to this apartment in another car. They were supposed to tie Ludmilla up, force her to drink alcohol, rape her, and then the group decided to murder her. Jeez. They proceeded to then take her body to Kralova Presensi, where they drowned her in a small lake and then moved her body to the river where it was later found. For some reason, young Detective Palco combined the dates of July 8th and 9th together. Therefore, he mixed the dates and the testimonies as one single clue and lead in the case. On September 21st, 1976, three suspects were arrested, Hermo, Centula, and Kovacic. Later, an alibi was provided for these three men, and they were let go. However, it is interesting that Hermo, they took forensic evidence from his clothes, and a match was found with Ludmila's clothes. Later, they took the same type of evidence from Kokur from the Nitra group, and they found the same match. But that match was with Ludmila's jeans. Ludmila's jeans were found on July 15th in her dorm room as testified by police officers collecting evidence at the scene. So to clarify what I just said, the evidence match was found on a piece of clothing which was in her room during the kidnapping. So how the hell did that happen? So Palco kept his methods, forced suspects to cooperate, and to confess. They were randomly taken and kept in jail under suspicion of murder for 24 to 48 hours, simply to force them to cooperate. They either, quote, cooperated or were automatically deemed as suspects. A witness, Vladimir Varga, was forced to falsely testify, and afraid for his life, he immigrated to Switzerland, where he still lives today. Wow. He would testify in 2003 when the case was reopened, saying that he was forced to falsely testify, and he is still afraid for his life and still scared of police officers to this day. He stated he was forced to falsely testify because if he had not, he would have been arrested and he would have been charged with murder. Now we kind of switch gears and we're going to discuss Ludmilla's father and then we're going to go into how the case was reopened. Now, like we said, he was a high-ranking military commander. To say that he was important is a huge understatement. In 1976 Czechoslovakia, having the right connections or being in the right group meant everything. He was a member of the party, which that would be the Communist Party, and his, that would make sure that his kids could go to the university. Ludmilla's mother just so happened to be a member of the STB. And remember... That's the Czechoslovakian arm of the KGB. Which meant that even after the university, her kids would have good jobs. And that's how Czechoslovakia worked until the fall of the Berlin Wall. The fact that the father was a military officer and the mother was an STB member is probably the reason why the STB was active in the case. Now, according to certain articles... 
that were translated, there was some tension between Ludmilla's parents. And her mother was not handling things very well at all. Her mother and father would argue a lot, and there are rumors that her mother blamed Ludmilla's father quite a lot for something. Hmm. She did receive a lot of calls and visits from random people, basically telling her not to mess with the official investigation. She broke down and wrote a letter to then-President Husak, and he did, in fact, receive the letter and asked Minister Obzin to make sure the investigation was correct. Now, this is theorized that this was where and what possibly led to switching the investigation team to Palco. And basically, they needed results, no matter what. And Palco was tasked with getting those results. And the order was probably something along the lines of just get some confessions so the case can be closed. When the case was just a month old, STB, which was basically on the level of the CIA, was already getting notifications about the process of the investigation. In 1984, a year after the Nietzsche group was already in jail, the STB requested the official files again. This is crazy, man. Yeah. So now we go, we fast forward to March 23rd, 1990. The Attorney General for Czechoslovakia filed an official complaint against the case. So in October of 1990, the charges in the case were dropped and the case was reopened by the federal Czechoslovakian Supreme Court, which overturned the original verdict and returned the case to a lower court for retrial. Citing, they found 72 procedural, procedural errors that had been made in the original proceedings. After 14 years, 55 witnesses, 8 ex-investigators, and 5 authorized experts, they decided that the original six men from the Nitra group were found guilty again of kidnapping, rape, and murder. Something's a little uh, hanky-panky. Joseph and Veronica, who we discussed, are the couple that saw the Volkswagen Beetle. They thought when the verdict was handed down for a retrial that they would be contacted and they would get to give their testimony. But, in a strange turn of events, the two were barred from testifying in the new case. Really? That... There's some strange shit going Yeah, on. man, I'm, I'm confused. I don't know what the hell is going on. And the reasoning behind it is even more confusing, because you just don't know. Yeah. Now, International Human Rights Group, the media, including Austrian ORF station had begun taking an interest in the case since the December 4th verdict, while defense attorney Baum would state that he had some misgivings for the proceedings, and he would be quoted as saying, for me, the fact that 8,000 pages of evidence were found in the Lavoca archives is proof that the investigation of the murder of Ludmila Servanova was grossly manipulated from the beginning. And Joseph would state to the Slovak spectator, spectator, evidence was secured that the organs in the criminal justice system knew about and that they in all likelihood withheld deliberately from the courts. And that's a rough translation because I have no idea what he's talking about. Now, in 2004, the Nietzsche group, like I said, was charged and jailed again. In 2006... And later in 2011, after the final accused from the Nitra group was released in 2009, all of them demanded a polygraph test. All of them were tested, and the results were they have no connection with the case. Officially, it was stated that, quote, not one lie was detected on either test in 2006 or 2011. Holy man. Now, Jana Telecki a very good and highly respected Slovakian journalist contacted the Nietzsche group after their release and was able to procure interviews with them along with other people connected to the case. She found the following statistics. Those found guilty were seven. Their combined sentences equaled 108 years without the possibility of parole. Oh, wait, 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 wait. 
So this is a solved case? No. They got convicted of it. They got convicted of it, but they passed two polygraph tests and they were railroaded. And we'll get to why this is uh-uh. not solved. Man, the justice system never gets it wrong. You brought me a solved case, you bastard. Especially in Slovakia. A Slovakian solved case. Yeah. Tune in next week for <laughs> Solved Bruce. <laughs> now, it was pers- <laughs> it was proposed that three of the seven Nietzsche groups should have the death sentence. Five people connected with the case immigrated out of the country. Four crown witnesses were beaten during interrogation. 21 witnesses were subjected to continual psychological pressure and blackmail. Two female witnesses suffered miscarriages during their investigation. I mean, I'm sorry, during their interrogation, interrogation where investigators knew the women were pregnant. One female witness was held in jail and terrorized while she was breastfeeding her son. What? Two other witnesses were charged with an assault on an officer, and there and that was their punishment for telling the truth about what they had seen. So now we get to the accused. Brazda states that he was drugged into depression and manipulated to commit suicide, but he did not. Kokur stated they beat my head on the wall, shouted that if I say I'm innocent, I will get the death sentence. And Drazik stated that another inmate forced me to confess by strangling me and beating me. I have signed a confession. That's the truth of the matter. It was my self-preservation reflex. That's all. Holy moly. You want to survive. You don't want, you don't know what to do, but you are going to live. During the pretrial proceedings, I was subjected to inhumane treatment and deprecation. They used all forms of psychological and physical violence against me. It was unbearable. Sermon stated they arrested me with the others based on a story fabricated by the police. But Doc states that I was 27 years old when arrested by the police thugs, charged without a shred of evidence, and put in jail. And because I had not perpetuated any criminal acts against the well-being or life I was accused. I became a hostage of my decency. I don't owe anything to anyone. I have no apologies to make for anything I did. I am the creditor in this case only trying to defend my dignity. Now there's a witness Viera Zimakova and she states the investigators created an atmosphere as if it was all preconceived as if they just needed a person to say, yes, I was there with so-and-so. It was really awful where they took me. Cobwebs everywhere, mice running all over the place. There were horrible Turkish toilets. What happened next was a series, uh, I'm sorry, was a serious psychological moment for me. They kept me away from my child that I was breastfeeding. She was not used to anything else, only my milk. I was worried what would happen to her. They locked me up again in the retention cell. This is how other witness accounts came to be. Now, a former Arab student and witness, Hassan Hussein Awini, quoted an Arab proverb, and that's all he would say. And the proverb says, He who tells the truth will not be happy. Nobody likes the truth. When you are right and walk along quietly, nobody notices you. When you act as a fox, people are afraid and avoid you. It appears that the case of who killed Ludmila turned into the case of who can we put in jail for killing Ludmila. Dude, they were convicted. They have to be guilty. (laughs) I mean, just because they got their head beat against the wall. Doesn't mean anything. After 41 years, we still really do not know what happened to her. If we are to believe the current forensics and ignore the communist regime of the time, we must admit there may not have even been a body in the casket that was cremated. Why would there be a casket if they were cremated? That's what they said. They put the body in a casket and put it into the fire. Okay, well, that just don't make any sense. So I guess they were innocent. Bingo. (laughs) So basically, Ludmilla disappeared on July 9th, 1976. What could have happened to her? Nobody knows. Was she abducted? Was she really raped and murdered? The bus stop and the dorms were not far away 
from the club. What happened that night in those few hundred meters? There's a chance we probably will never know. Now, there are some theories out there, and they're pretty good. I sifted through the Reddit comments, and I have some that I will share with you. First one is from user Reddit user THRWW555. And this person states, this case hits close to home as Ludmila was one of my mother's closer friends. My mother was interviewed by the police back then, but she didn't know anything other than what was already made public. However, one of my other family members worked in counterintelligence back then, and from what I've heard, it was pretty common knowledge among Secret Service police and people that the Arab lead was correct, although it happened differently and it was covered up. According to this version, the motive wasn't anything related to her father. It was a random rape-slash-murder. The reason for the cover-up was why the Arabs were in Czechoslovakia in the first place. It is related to another open secret that due to geopolitical reasons at the time, members of various terrorist groups from Muslim countries friendly with the USSR were often sent to Czechoslovakia for training, medical treatments, etc. 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 Exeterably? I tried to... Did I, you just invent a word? No, I run two together. <laughs> Most notably, there's the obli, the town of Piastani in western Slovakia, very close to Bratislava. And no one was interested in turning a random murder into a global geopolitical scandal, especially during this period of the Cold War. But again, I have no way of verifying any of this. As for the Nitra group... My former classmate's father belonged to their group of friends and partied with them regularly. I believe he was even being investigated at first, but he had proof that he was someplace else. And his name is never mentioned in relation to the case. I know this doesn't really mean much. What it, whenever he was asked if he thinks they did it, he always said definitely not. Now the next Reddit user is Snow381What. And they state, this is a good one, maybe Ludmila immigrated to Western Europe, Europe, Western Europe or the USA, and the female body found in the river was someone else. It would be a huge coincidence, but the strange, but stranger things have happened. Also, I'd like to know a few things. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> Did they ever find her luggage? Did they ever check? if the dead girl's blood type actually matched Ludmilla's parents. Well, hell no, they didn't, because they never asked for her medical records from her doctor that her dad released the records to them. Is or was cremation a common thing in Czech, in Czechoslovakia? And this person states, I'm also a Slav, and in my country, cremation... <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad we did this case. <laughs> yeah, because I've nailed every word that I shouldn't <laughs> have, and amazing. I can't speak the Queen's English. All right, let's try that again. He state, or they state, I'm also a Slav, and in my country, cremation was always an unusual thing. In communism, and later when we went back to our Orthodox roots... If someone's body was disfigured or something, they would just put it in a metal coffin and seal it. Cremating Ludmila's body seems a little bit shady to me. He also asked, or they also asked, about the fiancé. Was he ever interviewed? Is it possible that she actually arrived in Cosis and disappeared there, assuming the body that was found was not hers? Another Reddit user, this one is Richie4422, and he states, As a fellow Slovak, there are a few interesting things to consider. He states that her father wasn't a member of the Communist Party, and according to witnesses, her father has identified the body to be that of his daughter, even though STB... <laughs> Excuse me, and this is his him saying this. Even though STB were cunts and President Husak was a nut job, creating new team for investigation led by Mr. Polka showed that there was evidence for imprisonment of the Nitra Group since 1980. Nitra Group was basically students and children of rich and semi-prominent Communist Party members, and there is speculation that this was the reason for a quiet 
long silence and actually putting someone in jail. Supposedly, according to him, police interrogated more than 4,000 people. It would be much easier for the STB to pull out some innocent gypsies or paint some dudes as capitalistic pigs. This was quite a leap for the investigation to go after kids of communist members. The only reason we are talking about it is the, quote, new documentary and fairly inconsistent investigation. But let's not forget that European Court of Human Rights has shut down the appeal. And then the final Reddit user is Suarez Now. It might be impossible to determine what happened with Ludmilla, but we might try to explain all the cover-up I think that the father, who was a military commander, the STB, and the police, as the communist officers, were all on the same side in this case. I mean that if the police would want to cover up something, the army and the STB would cooperate or would be forced to. So there might have been no rings or chains, or the father made everything up just to confirm the body's identity. Communists had a lot of ideological and censorship issues, which might seem strange today. So maybe some highly placed person decided that if a child of a high-ranking military man goes missing, it would be much better to find her dead than to leave the case unsolved and let people rise suspicions that she might have fled to Western Europe. I'm not saying that's the case here. It's just a possibility. Now, there is a documentary, and we will put a link to it on our social media. I have not found a working link, but maybe someone can. So now we get to our theories. I ain't got no. I have nothing. Well, I am going to go out on a limb and say... I got nothing. I feel like she may have immigrated. I mean, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that... Well, then where's... I mean... Yes, yeah, you would think she would have come then? forward. Well, there, according to, there's a lot more comments out there. According to some of the other comments and things I read, the body that was presented to the couple at the bus stop was not uh, the same body that was pulled from the river. And if you go along the lines of the father never saw the body and was just given the rings and the chains, then he would say, yes, that's hers, you know, end of case. Because if you go on that last Reddit user, it makes sense because you, back then, you would not want for some high-ranking military official's daughter to flee the Communist Party and it blow up that this premier couldn't keep his own family happy. I don't know, man. This is, that's... I don't know. They just so happen, she just so happens to immigrate to another country, and they just so happen to find a body that just so happens to be identified as her. Well, all that's got to do is have long black hair, basically, is all I read. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying stranger shit's happened. And in the end, well, yeah, I mean, we've got the other thing that I don't understand is why was the boyfriend never or fiance was never interviewed? There was nothing in the investigation files. Why was he not contacted? Well, because the. The fiance or husband never does it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, once you leave the U.S., that the husband's not the first person to look at, or the boyfriend. I mean, I don't even know why they look at them here. Yeah, because name one case. (laughs) (laughs) What happened at the bottom of the staircase, dude? I've like, if you've watched that documentary, the staircase on HBO. I'm t- I'm pro owl, man. That sounds crazy, but I think an owl, honestly. Watch the extras that like the little pin the, feathers. Yeah, the, the little pin feathers. Like how the pin feathers get in your scalp, and you're not gonna beat someone to death with a <laughs> with a, a down pillow. With a down <laughs> pillow. No, no, beat them to death with an actual owl. Well, you could do that. <laughs> like, but okay, back to this. Case. If you're not if you're not familiar with that case, it's it's a it's a good one. I forget the name of the man, but he's accused of killing his wife, and it really, they really lead you to believe that... She got attacked. and She got attacked in her house by a bar now. And then slipped on her own blood, because it was a superficial scalp wound, and it was bleeding profusely. She slipped on her own blood and brained herself, splattering blood up the wall. It, I mean, it well, literally is... She was is, intoxicated. 
Highly. Highly intoxicated, and she got attacked by an owl. But again, if you can get attacked by an owl, you can whatever to another country from a communist country. Don't try to tie these things I together. just did, bro. Just did, bro. Uh, no. You... No, 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 no. Let's... I don't know. I mean, I think she was murdered. Yeah, I don't, but I don't necessarily think the people arrested for it may have, they, I, I don't see that they have done it. You know, if what they say is that happened to them is true. I mean, you can't, can you take their, their, are we just going to, in Eastern Europe at the time, Are we you just, don't think okay, No, I understand that. And those men probably knew all kinds of things that happened like that. But are we just going to take at face value the words? I mean, for better, we have to state fact. Are we going to take the words of convicted murderers at face value? Are, my con- are, my- we, are we just going to sit here? Are you so anti-government no. <laughs> that... You're going to believe. Here's my with no proof whatsoever to the contrary. No, there's proof. I mean, uh, not to the contrary. No, they have no proof whatsoever backing their story. There's 315 witnesses that would that all stated they never saw any of those men near the dorms, in the near the bus stop, or at the club. Oh, well, that's 315 <laughs> people. Okay, well maybe, but still. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. That's no, I agree with you. This is a catch twenty two case. You're either I feel like you're either on one side or the other. And since we're not in the country, and they said this is one of the bigger cases to ever come out of the former Czechoslovakia. But I feel like it's almost like a Jean Bonnet case here where you either are the Santa Claus did it or the brother did it. There's not a middle road. You you pick a side. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of people over there feel that for some reason she did defect or she did make it to her fiance and some poor lady with black hair washed up and she never contacted her parents but that's even farther a farther stretch than her defecting to be honest with you I don't know but I do like that I do like the fact that there's some shady shit that went down with his, I mean, I guess we'll never know because we don't have access to the files. How far up was he really? If he was real far up, that would explain all the military and the STB and all that being in there. But if he was just a regular wing commander as they try to make it out and he mm-hmm. wasn't training these Arab people for to become pilots, then, and here's another thing. Why are they training Arab pilots during the height of the Soviets fighting the Afghans? That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I mean, this is a, a head scratcher. There's Basically, you've got, I guess there's three possible things. Either she made it to her fiancé and they defected. Mm-hmm. Or she defected. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me back up. Either they defected slash she defected. Or, like one of the users said, she's murdered, but they don't want it to come out, and it would be a disgrace to party. So they kind of sweep everything under the rug and say these men did it. Or, these men did do it. But here's another thing. They all got out. The, the longest sentence was 28 years. Well, maybe that's just their policy. Maybe that's just the way their uh, justice, system, justice works. system works. But, man, you're going to say he just did 28 years? It's 20 fucking years, man. And it's better than 99. True. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I mean, I'd like get, to do one year. I mean, you got me there. I don't want to do a day. No. You're going to do a 28 years in a Czechoslovakian prison? You think that's fun? Hell no. <laughs> I'm amazed they all survived. Yeah, that's true. They're probably eating ants and shit. <laughs> well, hell, if they're going to keep a mother from breastfeeding her child, I'm pretty sure they're going to bounce somebody's head off the wall. I mean, yeah, okay, all right. I know I have a lot of good points. Uh, you, you, you do. <laughs> I mean, you do. I'm not. I can't. I mean, you're making sense. I'm just trying to, you know, play devil's advocate. Yes. Well, that's what I want you to do, though, because. I agree with you. There's enough evidence 
that suggests that they they may have done it. Mm-hmm. But there's no, and we don't. There probably is. I've not been able to watch the the documentary, and by watching the documentary, we may change our minds. But the forensic evidence, or lack of forensic evidence, that the fact that they tied one of the seven that they convicted to forensically being neat with her, even though that forensic evidence came from jeans that were found in her room that mm-hmm. she never wore. Mm-hmm. So how did that even happen? Oh, that's a good question. Is that planning of evidence and they're just too fucking stupid to... I'm I'm not going to comment because I'm not going to criticize Soviet bloc police, KGB. <laughs> I don't give a shit how many years it's been. <laughs> so I hear you have a problem. <laughs> oh, you like to speak to real KGB. Like, no. No, no, no I no, do no. not. We're okay with the van outside monitoring everything that yeah, we Yeah, we got about. the FBI monitoring us, I'm sure. So we we definitely don't need to get... KGB, CIA involved. So I'm just going to leave it at that, my brother. All right, man. What you, recommendations? I'm going to recommend the Schneider Cut of Justice League. I am going to go upstairs, even though it's late, and I'm going to start watching it tonight. But I have heard from many, many people that it's amazing. So I'm excited for that. That's my recommendation. Get HBO Max. Do a seven-day free trial. Don't pay for that shit if you don't want to. <laughs> I'm going to recommend a new TV show called Bloodlands, and it is on the BBC. To the BBC. And it is in, it is, whatever the hell you want to say. I don't know what you say. It happens in Ireland. So it's like, I'm four episodes in, and the fourth episode is like a punch in the gut. And it just hits you out of left field. So if you like crime dramas... Look up Bloodlands. All right, Slap Nuts, you got anything else? I sure don't, Skippy. All right, then, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, deuces.